I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini. On this edition, never mind suggestions of a third spell at Chelsea. Mourinho says red is the colour. Did the master see red when his apprentice done him in at Bologna? Also, Harry Kane can't stop scoring in the Bundesliga, but can he match Robert Lewandowski's goal-scoring record at Bayern? And how last super weekend's result in the Liga Portugal made things very interesting at the top of the table? Not for the first time. Nicky, Nicky, Nicky. This Jose Mourinho, every time you come in, he's our lead story. <laughs> not, not least. And this is what I love about Jose Mourinho. He gets beat at Bologna and he thinks, how am I going to be the lead topic on OCC? <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'm a red through and through and through. <laughs> I'm certain that was his number one priority was, was you'd heard I was coming on and you need to make sure. Um, yes, uh, Jose, who nobly has said that um, he doesn't want to leave Roma and he's willing to stay and lead a project of young players and accept diminished expectations based on trying to build something with youth. Um, but... Uh, in the same breath, almost managed to um, make reference to how, because he was missing Paolo Dybala, who, as he put it, without Dybala, we don't have any class. Um, without Lukaku, who, by the way, was sent off uh, for completely avoidable reasons, losing his head against Fiorentina. Um, without him, we don't have intensity. Um, and so, sort of, how can we have expected other than that we would lose to Bologna and then talking about the intensity of that Bologna team. And I thought this was such a, a fascinating sort of mental loop to get into because actually aren't you the one responsible for your players intensity and don't think you or anyone else is arguing that Bologna have more resources than you. So even without Dybala and Lukaku, if you're going to be the one to lead a young players project, Where's the intensity that, that you're going to need? The thing is, look, we want to come back to Bologna in a minute because I think him mm. saying that when they had to let Marco Arnautovic leave in the summer yeah. is, is interesting mm -hmm. in terms of resource. Because I guess the game at Bologna went pretty much as you would imagine it went. I thought Roma were really good until they conceded the first goal. Mm -hmm. You know, they had the best chances and it was all relatively predictable in that they didn't have um, Dybala or Lukaku to put it in the back of the net so it just didn't happen really it was all a bit make do and mend and from one perspective I I have a degree of sympathy for Mourinho I know this is very unfashionable <laughs> but the, the thing is that the squad that's built for, from him uh, uh, the squad that's built for him and built very much on I guess what he would customarily expect the, the problem with Roma and I think they've done quite well, if you bear in mind how poorly they started the season, to go into this match in fourth position, okay, they fell down to eighth because of results over the weekend, but it's very close up there. They're still in with a chance of the the, the, the top four. Um, they're, they're walking this sort of tightrope because they are really reliant on injury-prone players. Yeah. And, and that that's a massive problem in terms of their, their squad construction. So on one hand... You have the Friedkins who have responded to Mourinho going, I, I, I want to stay. I couldn't walk away from these fans. 
um, give me the contract. And it seems that they want to see a little bit more. Like, never, never mind if he's prepared to accept reduced expectations. Are they? I think is 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 the question. But the the other thing is that there's absolutely no guarantees. And if he wants a guarantee, like five, six months before the end of the season, do you really think he'll get it? No, I, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. You know, we, we hear Jose's monologue all the time and we haven't hear, heard a lot. You don't hear a lot um, from the Friedkins, but from what I hear, they're not in a rush. They're going to let this season play out. And um, obviously, if he can get them into Champions League places, which instinctively you want to say top four, but actually for Italy, it could yet be a top five. They get into the Champions League places, then that colours the picture. That changes what the outlook is going forward. But that's the issue, isn't it? That... If you told me now that Roma will finish this season fourth, I would believe you. Mm -hmm. If you told me they'll finish this season eighth or ninth, equally, I would probably believe you. The the, the point that you just touched on there, and and I I never know if I'm just repeating myself when we come in here and talk about Jose, because I think these things have been true all season. Uh, Again, it's a logical loop, because the reason that Dybala and Lukaku are at Roma is because they have other issues. They would not be at Roma if if they were... If Dybala was not injury prone, he would never have left Juventus. No. In, except to go somewhere. No, actually, I think he would never have left Juventus because he actually did have a chance to go to the Premier League and, and go for the money. And he didn't want that at the time. He was happy at Juventus. So I think he would never have left that club. He's a former Serie A MVP. He's a brilliant footballer. His only problem is that he gets injured a lot. So you sign him accepting that. You're, you're, you're not going to get 38 games out of him, probably ever. Um, Lukaku is this great sort of... Um, tragic story for me frankly in terms of his talent and and the way he's managed his career so certainly a a talent but again you would not get him if it wasn't for the mess that he's made of the last few years yes it's true Roma have had some some tough breaks obviously we talk about those two Tammy Abraham is almost forgotten at this point but he's also on their books and and injured long term but this is the reality and the reality is when you are Roma you're not Juventus you're not um I mean Juventus actually don't throw the money around lately either, but you're not one of the the big wealthy powerhouses of your domestic scene, let alone the European scene. You cut your cloth accordingly and you can do that by being on far less resources actually by being Bologna or you can do it by taking this route they've gone for, which is try to find these reclamation projects and, and find the value that you think other people are, are not getting. And they're both valid, but you can't then act as though, oh, well, if we just had this player fit, well, you were never going to have this player fit all the time. That, that was a deal you made um, when you signed that player. You can't help but wondering, as a journalist, what is Mourinho's um, move? Because everything he says, you have to sort of analyse. And he says, I will tell you something that I've not yet said. <laughs> Because he didn't say it like me, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when he says he wants to continue at Roma and, you know, um, I want to continue here. If I continue at Roma, we need to really think about what we can do with the FFP limitations. That is the ultimate distraction away from the result mm-hmm. at Bologna. But there is some semblance of uh, his desires in that, I would assume, yeah, and it's it's a weird it's a weird position because, on one hand, he has completely regenerated the club. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's like created this incredible move, selling out the stadium, he's, isn't it? Yeah, and that is the big thing. That's that what you've that, told us. that is that is the big thing, and you know that's important to Roma. You know, he's created a feeling that's quite difficult to quantify. I think from a distance, that's quite difficult to, to to recognize you know if if maybe you don't watch italian football or you don't watch roma every every week that's that's quite difficult to quantify i think people will look at it and say well you know same old law of diminishing returns and it seems in that statement that he wants to be given license to continue with those diminishing returns it's like maybe as well as him talking about the love of the fans the excuse kind of suits him really there's already an excuse because it's like well what can you do with this? Mm-hmm. There are limits, you know. So if he doesn't go on to 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 win leagues or relive all the glory days, it's fine for him not to do that because, as Nicky says, maybe it's not possible. But when you face up against not just an excellent young coach in Thiago Motta, but an excellent young coach who 
you've enjoyed some amazing moments with because, of course, they won the Champions League together mm-hmm. at Inter in 2010. Does it all stand up when you look at the job that Motta is doing at Bologna, Nicky? Or is this another indication of, well, actually, you're being run past by younger guys who've got different ideas? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think Thiago Motta's making a lot of perhaps different clubs' appointments look bad in some sense because yes, he's he's doing an an exceptional job and he's he's, he's such a fascinating manager and and he's got ideas that are whereas with Jose the thing with Jose is and I I always feel like anytime you talk about Jose you're sort of aware that there's this sort of super fandom of Jose that will come after you as a critic for him. And I, I really do think I sort of can alternate with Jose between loving him because he's theatre and I love theatre mm. in football. I think you need it. But also it does sometimes feel like we're listening to the same record we listened to 10 years ago. Like that is Jose. Like his, mm. all of this stuff, all of the distractions, all of the um, the nonsense has been recently giving a press an interview press into in, in Portuguese because suddenly he doesn't speak Italian which he spoke fine a decade ago <laughs> you know it's it's all it's all Jose yes there's different things and they make us laugh sometimes but they, it's all it's all the same the same record whereas Marsha is is doing things that are genuinely different um that game Lewis Ferguson was wearing the armband Lewis Ferguson's been brilliant at Bologna I've been saying this for a while mm. but he doesn't always wear the captain's armband the captain's armband goes to the person that week that Motta thinks, yeah, you're doing a good job and you're showing leadership, you're mm. playing well. And that idea, it's a small idea, but I think it's really indicative of, of how that club, club works. The starting goalkeeper against Roma was this uh, kid, Ravali. I say kid, he's 24. It's a kid to me. Um, but he hadn't started all season and Bologna are competing for a Champions League spot, which is way higher than most people would have expected of them before the season. And then just for the first time all season in a game against a tough opponent, you just throw in a different goalkeeper because he's been playing well. And, and why wouldn't I put in a player who's been playing well in training? It's not some sweeping judgment. And all through the team, he's been making these decisions. He's been not posting his starting 11s until the morning of the game. Doesn't let the players know who's going to start because he wants to have this tension in the group. And I think that he just has this freshness of thinking that is actually sort of really fascinating especially because in Italy a few years ago when he was working Motta was working in the PSG youth setup and he gave this interview where he talked about his ideal formation being a 272 which got completely sort of ridiculed everywhere because of course it sounds ridiculous first of all that's including your goalkeeper that's 272 gets you to 11 um second of all what are you talking about um but actually, even then, if you listen to what he was trying to say, he wasn't really trying to say, yes, you line up with seven across the middle. He was talking about the fluidity of football. And, and I think he just, he has a freshness about him that perhaps with the contrast against Mourinho felt even more stark. That idea of sticking all your best players in midfield, that's something that, you know, is Pep Guardiola speaking, right, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a similar sort of thing. I think that the interesting thing that you, you highlight about Motta is, is it's not just about the, the, the tactics. It's about his management of people. And what I think is really interesting is that before PSG got Luis Enrique, they looked at bringing him back at the start of the season because the idea is, and of course the PSG project has is, is, is changed now. It's younger players. Um, he speaks great French. He was there for a long time, knows the place. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see him become PSG coach down the line because that idea of that sort of, that equilibrium, that balance, someone who I think he's sort of almost like in, in, his, in his plain speaking to players, it's almost a little bit reminiscent of Ange Postacoglu actually. There was a, it was a great quote actually after they, they, they won at Inter in, in, in the cup last night which is an incredible achievement because Inter are clearly the best team in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've also won the last two cups. Simone Inzaghi has missed yeah. the cups. Like he always wins the cup. It's huge. Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. And so they, they, they take them into extra time. They knock them out and they go through to the court final against Fiorentina. And the Motta says afterwards, look, I'm not going to sit here and say we haven't won anything, anything yet because what we've done is amazing. And actually, when you think about it, how many coaches actually say that? Mm. I, I think that would be the worst thing if like a coach for a team like Bologna that's been punching way above its weight beyond expectation. 
I think that's the worst thing. If you can stand there and go, oh, we haven't done anything yet. Mm. We, we have. You've created an atmosphere. You've raised the level of expectation. You've created hope. But that suggests, doesn't it, Nicky, that he's got some time to go at Bologna before he starts thinking about PSG or anywhere else. Yeah, there's definitely going to be um, some interest from Serie A's big clubs, I think, the summer coming up. There's restrictions in Serie A on managers working for two different clubs in the same season, which means... Yeah, same in Spain. Yeah, yeah, which means nothing will happen until the summer within Italy. But I think that when you look at the situation at Napoli, where they have had a bit of a mess going from Rudy Garcia towards Mazzari, that's a club I could absolutely see having an interest in him. I, I wouldn't rule out Roma and the Friedkins looking at this sort of game and remembering it when they come to the end of the season, they're making these decisions. Of course, it's, it's a really long way to go. Um, and time will tell if Bologna can sustain this pace and and um, and get into the Champions League places. But it, it's worth saying that, you know, even in the league, they'd already drawn with Inter. They basically haven't lost to any of the big clubs this season other than, other than Milan. They drew with Napoli, they drew with Inter. Um, they obviously beat Roma, they beat Lazio. They, they've been so consistently good with a young squad. And again, I've just said how much I love Lewis Ferguson. There's lots of young, interesting players in this team. I think there's only one player who's really stand out in this team, which is the centre forward, Joshua Zerxe, who pay attention to this kid because I think he's going to be something. And I think when you look at Motta's chops as a coach, I think you can see the way Ferguson's improving. A player like Ricardo Orsolini, who's got mm. better under him as, yeah. as as well. And you, you talked about Cirque, who looked brilliant when he first came through at Bayern, but completely lost his way after that. And he m- made that move to Parma that seemed very ill-advised. And actually, after they went down and it all sort of went sideways for him, he ended up in Belgian football. That that has actually been a stepping stone for him to get to Bologna because it's made Italian football aware of him. I think what's the interesting thing about Turks and obviously Motta's working with him very carefully and very closely because he knows, A, what potential he's got, and B, I think he sees in him a character who can be a leader in the dressing room as well. Because what I think's interesting about Turks with that perception that his career's gone sideways since early on at Bayern, and for the, the wider football public, They've still not reheard of him, you know. I don't. I don't. I don't think he's. He's kind of a secret at the at the moment. Mm. I think you look at him, and there's no stat chasing there. He's someone who is incredibly altruistic for a forward of his age trying to rebuild his reputation. I was almost thinking this on the way over. I was, I was trying to define him because in my head he's almost he's almost a false nine, but he isn't because he, mm. he really does vacate space. He really does sort of part of what he does so well is his off the ball running that makes room for other people to to run on but he is also a striker he's just a, as you say an incredibly selfless one his his assist on uh, on Bologna's first goal against Inter is really special if you haven't seen it it's like a flying back heel volley he's he's so much fun to watch but he's he's unlike any number 9 that I can think of off the top of my head he's i suppose perhaps no, I was, I was reaching for Alvaro Morata, but I don't think that's right. I don't. It's, it, but there's a real selflessness to, to the way that he plays, as you say, that is is a different model of number nine to what we're used to watching. Um, but I think he's the standout talent in this group. And I do think Bologna have a very real chance to crack into those Champions League places the way they're playing at the moment. What I want to know, Dotton, is how do you think uh, Mourinho would take it if uh, Motta were to replace him at Roma? <laughs> well, what do you think? What do you think? Um, I, I think you'd take it uh, with the sanguine mind uh, that we know that... <laughs> Trademark so, dignity. Exactly. And then what he says behind closed doors is nothing. But the interesting thing that I thought about Thiago Motta, who I didn't really know much about before this programme, was that he is also something of a firefighter because he kept Spets here up a couple of seasons ago. And mm. I wonder whether that is, you know, part of the magic of having a coach who can fight on both ends of the uh, table, as mm. it were, you know? Well, I just come back to what Mourinho said again about his team lacking intensity. Some managers know how to get intensity out of their teams. And Mourinho used to do that better than anyone, I think. Mm. And I think that's something that Motta has done Certainly, as long as I've been paying attention to him in his career, and I think that serves in all parts of the table. So, when are you next in so that I can let Jose Mourinho know? <laughs> <laughs> you have to ask producer Rory. Harry Kane, though, flipping out. You wait 
well, you haven't had to wait ages and ages for a Harry Kane goal, but you wait for him to dominate, you know, right through an entire season. It seems he's doing it. He can't stop scoring uh, for Bayern Munich. Um, what has happened there? I'm not saying that he didn't score for Tottenham. I'm not saying that this wasn't a brilliant move or whatever it is. Uh, but goals but might have more consequence, great consequences now. I think now. so. Yeah, right. I, 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 think I, I might, see where you're coming from. I think from. you might win something this season. Yeah, it's, it's, it's looking... Uh, increasingly difficult that he won't. Although we have to say, Bayern going to Christmas, not top of the table because Bayer Leverkusen and Xabi Alonso have been absolutely brilliant. But what Kane has done so far is 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 actually pretty remarkable. He got to 20 league, uh, league goals for the season at the weekend with a brace against Stuttgart in what was if not Bayern's best performance of the season, like really close. And this is just in the Bundesliga. Just in the Bundesliga. It got up to 21 with the goal at Wolfsburg uh, this week. 21 Um, in 16 games? Yeah, and it was was an amazing finish from outside the box. It was was almost a golf shot, the one against Wolfsburg. You know, it it was was so cleanly hit. It was like James Ward-Prowse kind of clean. Mm -hmm. That that sort of hit. James Ward-Prowse does do that golf thing, doesn't he? He does, he does. He celebrations. Maybe that's what's put it in my mind. (laughs) But um, even even Kane celebrated it. Like, you know, he's got his standard goal celebration. He celebrated it like, oh, shit, that was a really good one, wasn't it? (laughs) But I I think the, the, the thing with Kane is... Because he's being exposed to a new audience mm. and a new audience of fans in one of the biggest clubs in the world, it's it's like he's being appreciated all over mm. again at a relatively late stage in his career. Because I know some Tottenham fans will take an issue with this and like listen to it and go, well, obviously, he's been amazing for years. Are, are you daft? But I think the fact is he's playing a different role, in a different club, in a different country with different pressures, very different pressures. Different role? Yeah, he is a a little bit because he, I I think I've said this before on here, but he fits with Bayern better than he fits with any other team. He would fit with any other team on the planet. He is absolutely perfect for them and they are absolutely perfect for him because he wants to win. But they use every bit of what he's got so well. So they need that number nine. He's that. They need that guy that drops in the hole and finds the balls for Zane, who looks, Zane looks unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know, Zane's always had that quality to be one of like the top 10, 15 players in the world. And he looks like it most weeks at the moment. And he's got that level Sorry, of leadership. because of Kane? Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh. And he's, he's got that level of leadership as, as, as well, Kane, despite the fact that he's still, you know, only gradually learning, learning the language. Obviously, I think the fact that dressing rooms are multinational means that that sort of thing matters less than it used to. But I think the, the other little things you notice, like, for example, Thomas Tuchel was talking after that game against Stuttgart, when they're absolutely decimated by injury. They only had five outfield players on the bench. Um, that they had uh, a sickness bug and the flu going around the camp um, on the morning of the game against Stuttgart, which, as I said, I think was their best performance of the season. Um, Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka, their two central midfielders, dropped out and they weren't well enough to come back against Wolfsburg. So um, they play a 19-year-old and the guy's barely played all season in the, in, in the, in the centre of midfield. And at that moment... Kane is the glue that puts everything together. Now, the amazing thing, before he scored goal 19 and 20 last week, he was in bed with flu for two <laughs> days last week. And they were like thinking, well, should we leave him, should we leave him out out the squad? And he was sort of, you know, with a box of tissues going, no, I'm definitely <laughs> playing. I'm, I'm definitely playing. And he it, it, it comes out, he turns up, he leads the team, and he makes, he's one of those players who's not just amazing in himself, he makes everyone around him mm. better. Because he's got that new audience giving him that bit more appreciation, that bit of like novelty appreciation, because they're getting him firsthand for the first time, I think it's completely natural that he's getting all these plaudits. I, I find Harry Kane, as well as being exceptional, I find him sometimes like, and I think it's going to sound like um, I'm teasing or being critical, which actually is the total opposite, because I think this is almost like his, I mean, not his greatest strength, but one of his absolutely core strengths is he. He has this way of making themes things seem quite mundane. Yeah. Um, you know, he gave an interview to the Sander the other day and it was sort of, oh, well, obviously it's been quite a good start to the season. You think, yeah, you know, it has, it has actually, <laughs> Harry. And and there was sort of talking about that that sort of uh, the whole Lederhusen 
annual shoot they do and he's going oh the shorts were heavier than I expected them to be you know, it's, 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 it's such a sort of oddly like mundane thing to say but I think that's that's what Harry Kane has that almost makes him special because I think it's the same for him with with football he does these things that are not ordinary that are not but in his mind it's just playing football and he keeps it so simple he keeps everything so simple that he manages to be incredibly effective, like taking that shot like it's a golf shot. And he backs himself in this extraordinary way. In the same interview he talked about, and he's mentioned this before, about how he thinks he could be an NFL kicker one day. And he, he mm. fully believes it. And, mm. and maybe he's right, because frankly, I wouldn't bet against him at this point. He's it, like a, a sort of Stephen Hendry figure, isn't he? Really, mm. He just makes everything look so simple. It's, yeah. it's, and like a, kind of almost like just, just a job. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a ridiculous a job thing that to he say. loves. Yes, but he he sounds like sometimes I feel like when he talks about football, he sounds like my granddad who worked on a my granddad was a farmhand, and like the way they talk about their jobs sort of to me can sound almost the same thing. It's all, it's all quite self-effacing, and there's no flourish for flourish's sake. Yeah, is, is there? But sometimes I think, with football, uh, the footballer, the genius footballer, um, just thinks I'm an ordinary person. You know, mm. they, they can't sort of see beyond that. Sometimes the lesser footballers think this is amazing. You know, I just scored and there's 50,000 people cheering for me. But it's in your stride when you're an amazing footballer. I mm. saw Mario Balotelli um, once being interviewed when he was here at Man City, being interviewed with, um, what's his name from Oasis, Noel Gallagher. And, you know, Noel Gallagher is like fawning over him. And he's like, well... Why, why are you fawning over me? You know, it's like, yeah. I'm just doing my job kind of thing. Does the postman celebrate when he delivers a letter, etc.? Yeah, 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 that, yeah. That, that's, that's right. But it's, it's, it's funny. I, I think the way that Kane does everything is so efficient, you assume it must be simple in his, his, his mm. mind. Because... I think, and and that is that is it the goes genius. In slow motion, yeah, in his that, mind, exactly. It? That yeah. is the genius of him, really. I mean, I, I think I compared it in my Guardian column this week when I was talking about the game against Stuttgart. As like, it's it's a little bit like when um, the Los Angeles Clippers traded for James Harden earlier in the season, and they said, you know, as one of the superstars of the last ten years, how are you going to fit in to this already superstar team? How are you going to fit the system? And he just shrugged and he went, "Well, I am the system." <laughs> And everyone looked at him and went, uh-oh. <laughs> but I think, like, Kane would never say that. Right, because that, I think but, that's but also important. That's, that's why it works so well yeah. for Bayern at the moment. They've got so many holes in them, but he is the system. But, but I think just to, like, pick up on that, like, actually, this is kind of the fascinating contrast with Bayern specifically is, and this is to do, do Lewandowski a huge disservice, I'm sure, as well, but... With Lewandowski, you did hear these stories about when he was pursuing that goal record, you know, he'd get grouchy about it and he was telling teammates off because he felt like they weren't giving him enough of the ball when he wanted to get that record. And like Harry Kane is somewhere at the other end of the spectrum, not making a big deal about anything. And at the moment, he's on course to smash Lewandowski's record, not just to beat it. Yeah, that's the story, isn't it? That is the story. And I think you've nailed it on it. It's head. However, I, I did start this conversation by saying he's on course, surely, to win some title, uh, which she didn't win in North London. You might remember but he that, might, You say that, but actually I did want to come back on that as well, because right now they're out of the cup. They're yeah. yes. second in the league. And the Champions League is not like a guarantee, is it? There's a lot no. of good teams in that. And don't forget the Euros is what I was thinking. Mm. If he is the glue, as you say... If he is the glue that brings everybody in, if he is the system, then surely Gareth Southgate must be looking at that and thinking, you know, we've got one hand. Surely, surely, surely. But I don't, England, th- I don't think I don't think he needs the- to be that with England. If he needs to be the system with Bayern, he doesn't need it to be to be that with England. It'd be interesting, just like it'd be interesting to see if Jude Bellingham, who's obviously having an incredible season goal wise, you know, there's discussion in Spain at the moment of um, you know he could be, become the second midfielder in La Liga history to become the the Pichichi the, the, the top scorer of the season only previous non-striker to get it Luis Aragonés for Atletico in 1970 wow, which is which is yes. re- remarkable oh so <laughs> uh, the, the thing is that Bellingham's role will not endure as it is when they go and get Mbappe or whatever like top ranked striker they go and get, he will he will go back to being a number eight. So he won't be scoring goals in the same sort of volume that he is, I would imagine. So this season is to be enjoyed 
for Jude Bellingham and for, for everyone watching him because I don't think it will continue like that. And I just wonder, with with Kane, I don't think it will drastically change as such because they need him to, to be what he is. But I just wonder, is there a slight adjustment to what he does or what he's needed to do when Bayern get more of a functional team? Because they're going to have to do something in the... In, in the January window. Uh, and the, the last couple of weeks have, have, have really affected that because you, you look at the fact that they um, still lacking a defensive midfielder, obviously, but the fact that they've been decimated by injuries and the fact that Kim and Jay is off to the Asia Cup in January, all of that is making them think, yeah, yeah, we're going to have to do something. So Kane's got help on the way, I think. I forgot that the reason why I remember Aragonese is because he was a coach. I was thinking, yeah. do I remember he was a footballer? I don't think so, but anyway. Um, yeah, well, it may be it bodes well for England. We'll wait and see on that one. Uh, good luck, Harry. We're all behind you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Now, there is something going on in Portugal at the moment. When you look at the uh, La or Liga Portugal table, um, it looks slightly different from the way it looks before the weekend's super weekend. Do you mind explaining to us, Andy, what a super weekend is in Liga Portugal? Well, they, they had the top four play each other this weekend. So okay. the, the fixtures were kind of arranged as such. So Sunday night, you had Braga versus Benfica. Monday night, you had the latest classical between Sporting and Porto. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think about concentrating the big fixtures in one mega weekend? Do you prefer to have them spread out or do, do, do you like it to be this, you know, crescendo? Yeah, I, I think I prefer it spread out. Definitely as a journalist, I prefer it spread out because you want to be able to spread your stories through a season. Um, Only 500 words on each other. <laughs> but as um as a fan, I I don't know. I, I, I suppose you think when there is a close title race and you'd love to have that scenario at the end of a season where teams are having to play concurrently and and you get the drama like you did at the end of the Champions League group with Newcastle and mm. and Milan and PSG and Dortmund. Um, that stuff is is thrilling. Um, in the middle of a season, to me, it feels a bit like, I don't know, it's a bit like when you... I, I'll explain it to you in, in the most ridiculous way I can think, which is when I was a little kid... Um, when we would go trick-or-treating, my brother and I, an older brother, he's two years older, he would eat all of his chocolates right away and I would make mine last for weeks. That's a good <laughs> so I think, comparison. I think that's, that's who I am as a person. I want to spread yeah. my joy over several weeks, whereas my brother was straight in and had more, so yeah. different strokes. Well, I, I, I eat my chocolates all in one go. I can't stop. Once I <laughs> yeah, start, this, this, is, this is a proper, like, if, if we're going to slightly cor- corrupt the Portuguese-speaking <laughs> venues, this is, a, this is a whole churrascaria sort of business, isn't it? <laughs> but I do like my games to be spread out because I think that you're losing out the... A league table is the drama of a league table is also um, anchored in the mid-table uh, teams playing each other amongst other things, not just the uh, teams at the bottom, etc. So you're, a, you're saying it's it's, it's like a, about modern football's obsession with everything having to be about the elite level. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I do. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not sure if that's the case. When I have to choose which game to watch, when there's like four different games on, mm. and I only have one telly, unlike some people. Um, <laughs> Look, I have to use an iPad, said a, a computer and a phone like everyone else. Was I looking in your direction? Yes. Well, actually. Yeah. we got cameras in here. We can't even cover the tracks. Come on. So let's, let's talk about how this Super Weekend 
unraveled. Uh, Benfica, first of all, well, they didn't do too badly. They're second in the league now as a result of the Super Weekend. Yeah, although champions, so more is expected of them. And it's been a, a tricky first half of the season because because they've been so poor in the Champions League. Now, they've had that little boost from winning the last game at Salzburg, which means they're in European competition. They're, they're in the Europa League and they've got that playoff coming up against Toulouse, which I, I don't think it's unfair to Toulouse to say you would assume that Benfica would, would, would win over those two legs. Um, so they've got something to, to, to aim for there. But I think there was, there was great satisfaction in the manner in which they won at Braga, because Braga are very good, particularly at home. And... Um, uh, Trubin had a, a, a great game in, in goal and um, it's, it's, it's needed to happen because it's taken a little while for him to settle after coming to Chateau Donetsk because I was, I was chatting on um, our, our friend Andrew Todos's, um, uh show recently about the fact that you know that there's, there's debate in Ukraine over whether Lunin, who's doing great things for Real Madrid at the moment with Kepper out injured or Trubin should be first choice for the Ukraine national team at the moment. Uh, and, and, and Trubin has been fated for a while. He's still a young goalkeeper. But, you know, now I think being consistently under pressure for, um, for, for, for Benfica, where one mistake as a goalkeeper can kind of half ruin the team's season, you know, because mm-hmm. the big games count for so much. And going back to this idea of like a super weekend, I think it's, it's, it's different in a Portuguese context because the big games mean so much, because there's such an imbalance between the biggest clubs and the smallest clubs. If you think of the, the clubs in the, the bottom bit of the division, you know, they're playing in tiny stadiums in front of tiny crowds. They've got budgets that, you know, a lot of League Two teams have better budgets than. This is all in the same division, in the Portuguese top division. And, you know, they're, they're, they're coming up against Champions League teams. So it's a little bit like in Turkey. The biggest games really do mean that bit more. And I think that's reflected in, even in the way the, the, the placement's done, because, you know, it's not goal difference that separates teams on equal points. It's the head-to-head record. And that, to me, makes better sense when you're going to celebrate a title. I know what you were saying about, it's about mid-table teams as well. But I would always rather a team win, if, if points were equal, on how they did in the biggest games between those teams. I agree with that. Ra- rather than, you know, we racked up a score against some chumps. Uh, to, to me, that seems, that that adds something and that adds an extra level of intensity to those biggest games. They're the games that matter and they're played like they matter. And I think it encourages a certain level of bravery that mm. you don't always get. You know, sometimes you have the feeling that the biggest games can be the the, the biggest damp squibs. That won't happen in this situation if it's head-to-head because you have to go for it. You mm. have to go for it. And I think to encourage that is a, is a, is a good thing. And certainly Sporting did that against, against Porto on, on Monday night as well. They really went for it. And that, that's, that's, that's why they're leaders now. Well, Sporting, <laughs> there's a story there which is almost unbelievable, Nicky. Um, one of, uh, well, Sporting's record signing, Victor Kyokiris, once upon a time of Coventry City, uh, once seems... upon a time, I mean, five minutes ago. Well, yeah. <laughs> my once upon a times are very short, you know. Yes. You should know that if you've read my book. Football <laughs> moves quickly. Yeah, exactly. And so does Dotton. Uh, but <laughs> not this quickly, I don't. I mean, he's gone from Coventry City to become one of the most expensive players in Europe. And I'm mm. hearing, uh, when we were speaking earlier on, that his value might even go up another 50% from 100 million to 150 million. That is not a Coventry City player, surely yeah, not. It's, I mean, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm fairly certain Coventry will make some of the money um, from the next transfer. I'm pretty sure they, they're going to take a cut of that from a sell-on fee. Do you think that's going to be become one of, one of the most common OTC questions, ask OTC questions? Because <laughs> at the moment, we get a lot of Aberdeen fans going, when are Bologna going to sell Lewis Ferguson? <laughs> yeah. and, and, and soon we're going to have lots of Coventry fans going... When a sporting selling Gyokuris. <laughs> I actually did see someone on Twitter just starts coming in and saying about Gyokuris, like, look how much money we're going to make. And it's such a, it's such an <laughs> online conversation, isn't it, fans? So great news. The player we sold last summer is going to yeah. get sold again and then we'll make money. Um, it's one of the many odd things about modern football fans cheering for their team's balance sheet. It's, it's a fascinating rise. Um, and look, he, he was 
prolific at Coventry. He scored 21 goals last season. He had 12 assists as well. He was very, very effective in the in the championship. But it is astonishing that he was allowed to slip under all these Premier League clubs' radars in the summer. And now they're going to talk about, yes, I think his, so his, um, his release clause is 100 million euros. But the suggestion is that because there could even be a bidding war, it, it could go higher than that. Um, and Sporting are trying to get him to accept a new contract, which would take that clause up to 150 Yeah, as well. I mean, we have to say that the, the buyout clause, which is legally required in Portuguese football contracts, is, is just a bargaining position, really. Mm. So rather than necessarily saying Victor Gioquez is worth 100 million euros, it's a fallback. You know, you're not going to have a, a team come along and say, well, you bought him for 20, we're going to give you 40. No. It's like, well, no, you're not, mm. you know, and we have got some some leeway to, to work with. It's almost like a bargaining position. You really. asked a question. I don't know if it's disrespectful for me to ask a question. Is he worth it? Not 100 mil. Yeah. But, but I, that's, that's not really the claim, I, I, I don't think. I think what is clear is that Sporting have got themselves a bargain. He mm. has been the most influential player in the division this season. And bearing in mind... But when Angel Di Maria, even at 35, re-signs for Benfica, you're thinking, right, this guy's the, the best player in the league by an absolute mile. You know, this was the guy who's man of the match in the World Cup final a year ago. And yet, Gukaris turns up and he absolutely changes everything for sporting. You go back to the start of last season and they lose Palinha and they lose Matis Nunez in like pretty quick succession which takes them a while to get over, understandably, because it completely rips apart their midfield. And they've they've gradually got things back together. They lost Manuel Ugarte, of course, to PSG at the beginning of this season and got paid very nicely for it, we, we, we have to say as well, because he, he did go for the clause. And I think, really, Gukarez, as well as making an incredible connection with the fans, as well as scoring the goals, as well as leading the line and bullying defenders and turning up in the big matches because I think the notable thing about this game against Porto and Porto no shrinking violets Sergio Conceição teams are physically tough they get in your face you know I, th- I think n- normally they are, they are a, they're a team that sort of don't back down from situations and sporting mainly because of Gukarez we're able to get out there and go yeah you ain't going to bully us and when you look at Ruben Amorim the coach he's a great coach who I think will go on to have a really good career and if you look at the last 10 classicals that, that, that he's been involved in, so against um, Porto and Benfica, he'd, he'd not won a single one of them. And this was starting to you know, eat away a little bit about people's perception of him because they'd found new and exciting ways not to win classicals. You know, they're a goal up at, at Benfica um, earlier this season and conceded two quite near the end a game that actually Gukar has scored early, earlier on in, in, in that. But, you, you know, he's, he's got the, the sort of football intelligence to, to link with Marcus Edwards, for example. He's incredibly high football IQ and, and, and Pedro Gonçalves. And yet, at the same time, he can take on Pepe. And Pepe's still a good player, even at nearly 41. And he's a personality. And obviously, he comes out for a classical thinking Right, I'm going to stamp my authority on it. And Gukaris is going, actually, no, I'm going to stamp my authority on you. And he, he scores early on and absolutely takes him to the cleaners. Because it was it was a brilliant goal. And this is, I was trying to look up a goal he scored for Wigan last year, against Wigan, sorry, last year. Um, and uh, he's he's got this way about him because he's, he's not, and this is where I would say some reservations come in as well about that 100 million fee. He's not blazing fast he's no. not he's not going to sort of tear past everyone and he's not small but he's also not in that Erling Haaland way overly physical he's mm. but he is a dribbler he is someone he expects to get on the ball and, and to beat players which he did in this game he, that's why I was thinking about that Wigan goal because it's him taking it from from almost halfway and I think there's uncertainty in my mind about how those skills translate to the Premier League. I think they can, but I think there's also lots of players with that sort of skill set who mm. don't explode in the way that everyone imagines they're going to. And that's where I suppose on the basis of this is just half a season. And um, Yeah. Yeah. I, I think 
it's not half a season because we're having to Coventry, but that is the championship, and that's why Premier League clubs didn't jump on him already. Yeah, and I, th- I think there was there was obviously that question, wasn't there, mm-hmm. amongst Premier League recruitment departments? But I, I think from their perspective, because money is sort of and value is sort of an abstract concept in the Premier League. Yes, they were they were <laughs> quite happy to let him walk and go. Okay, let's see how you do elsewhere. Mm. And I guess the question is, do you take do you make the move, especially if you're a side in like say the middle of the table? Because I. To me, him going to Chelsea is unrealistic at the moment, for example. Mm. I don't think that's good for him and I don't think that's good for Chelsea. It's, it's too soon, as you say. Is, is unrealistic it won't happen or is unrealistic it shouldn't happen? Because Chelsea's got a fair bit yeah. of that. So. Yeah, it shouldn't more, 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 than, more than won't. But I, I think in terms of like what would be like most normal and best for his development as well, I mm. think th- that next move would be a sort of, you know, ambitious middle of the table sort of, Premier League club, I, I, I suppose. But you look at that and you think, well, you know, how long can you can you let it ride out? You know, if if you're waiting until the point where next season, where he starts scoring goals in the Champions League, all of a sudden it starts getting really expensive, mm. and that's something different. And I guess from a sporting perspective, at the moment, Gyokerez, as well as playing very well for them, it's kind of doing him a favour because he's overshadowing Edwards, who I'm amazed that Premier League club hasn't taken him so far. Mm. And also Pedro Gonçalves, who is, is a release clause around about the 60 million mark as, as, as well. And he's, he's an incredibly intelligent player. Didn't come off for him when he was very young at Wolves, but he was very young. And I, I, think, I think you have to respect that. He's really built his career since then. As, as well as getting maximum value, which is obviously part of the conversation in Portuguese football, They've got to figure out a way that they don't lose all those three at the same time. Mm. That they've got to figure out a way to stagger that if they're to maintain success. Very good point. And no doubt we'll return to talk about Victor Gerkeres in the new year. For this year, I think he must be thinking, all my Christmases have come in one go. Let me try and spread them out over the next <laughs> few years. <laughs> Um, it's that time when we ask both of you for a recommendation, a Game of the Week recommendation. There's a lot of football going on at the moment, as you both know. So it's going to be quite interesting where you go with this. Bring uh, your food today. I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready. Wow. Yeah, talk about Don't food. Don't ready. I've seen the document. Yeah, yeah, you see, I've been doing some research on food. <laughs> on, on the way they eat at Christmas in Italy. Because anyway. I knew you were coming in. And, uh-huh. and you always bring the best food recommendations. Not that I don't want to hear about the game of the week uh-huh. first, though. Obviously. Do you have one? Yeah, so uh, it's Roma against Napoli this week. Um, whether or not that will be a spectacle, who knows, because often Roma's games aren't. But two teams that have been underperforming what they would have hoped to in the last little while. Well, Roma, I suppose, maybe closer to par. Napoli certainly underperforming as, as reigning champions. Both of them struggling to to keep hold of of a Champions League berth, which is hugely important to both of them. Um, I think it is sort of both of them meeting at quite a, I don't know if perilous is quite the right word, but delicate, like delicate. Yes. It's a better word for, for where they are at the moment. And uh, um, I think we'll set some moods going into the new year. And um, Roma, are they, or Rome, is that regarded as central Italy? I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's certainly not in the. I think it sometimes gets grouped into the south. Yeah. But you're right. I think that it's more central than anything else. Yeah. But Napoli would be south. Napoli, Naples is the south. Yes. Right. Okay, but they're only so, about an hour apart anyway, aren't they? Yeah. So. But the important thing is that in southern and central Italy, baked pasta is a must. <laughs> so, what's your food recommendation? <laughs> I, I, Italy is a place of of many um, traditions of food, and in this time of year, you definitely get different things in different parts of the country. Um, where my family's from in Emilia Romagna, it's the same as all year round. People can eat a lot of pasta, generally right before Christmas, because this game's on the twenty third. People eat a bit of fish, um, but the one that was in my head for something different, since it's Napoli playing, um, and because I've got a s- terrible sweet tooth, these. Um, Neapolitan sweets called struffoli, which are, are like um, little balls of fried dough, which makes you think of a donut. But in in my mind, they're almost halfway between that and and something like gulab jamun because they're drenched in honey and sometimes a, a little bit of alcohol as well. And then in that sort of very Italian way, candied fruits sprinkled over them, and uh, 
yeah, that's something that, never mind my previous comments about trick-or-treating, I can scoff a few of those in one sitting if you let me. <laughs> so no meat again. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Game of the week, Andy? Well, ob- obviously, regardless of the game of the week, there should be in every household a massive box of batchy, shouldn't there? Oh, yeah. uh, every, 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 now every you're Christmas. being a bit too clever for the, me. The, the, I haven't stuff... got batchy on my list. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure it's on your Christmas list anyway, isn't it? Maybe Santa will come for you this year. They're little chocolates with nuts in from Italy. Thank you. They're, yeah. they're, they're very good. Any good Italian deli, and you, mm. you're, in, you're in business there. Um, I am uh, going to another country that shows uh, little regard for people's holiday plans, pretty much like the Premier League and, and, and Serie A this year. Christmas Eve, mm. we've got the Intercontinental Derby between Fenerbahce and, and Galatasaray. Mm. It's going to be brilliant. And especially as they're both won in, in, in midweek, they're both rattling along at record pace. They've dropped what, five points each this season. I mean, mm. they are absolutely flying. Both of them can feel quite aggrieved because in any other season, they would be smashing the league. They would be eight, ten points in front. But they are absolutely neck and neck, Fenerbahce and Galatasaray. They've both got good sides uh, this season. It's in Karakui, um at uh, Fenerbahce Stadium. It's, it's, it's going to be, I think, a really high quality as well as an undoubtedly intense and full of silly behaviour kind of, kind of match. Um, great way to see yourself into Christmas. Obviously. The food bit takes care of itself. Of course. Uh, Turkish food is as as good as it gets. So, um, Oh, is that some halva that we've got out there? Well, well, Outside the studio? Oh, yeah. Well, well, producer Rory has very kindly brought us some baklava today, which is perhaps... I put it, it in my head. That's halvad to me. It's baklava. No, you're right. You're correct. I'm wrong. Okay. Well, I I think, yeah, you want some excellent pistachio baklava to finish. Mm -hmm. But before that, of course... Uh, you want uh, you you want kuzu shish, I think, which is like sort of cubed lamb, mm. um, together with you know you need you need red onion, you need parsley, you need a great red cabbage and carrot side salad involved. Um, I think you you need a nice little Turkish tea with your baklava as well yeah. To, yeah. To, to to take the edge off. And obviously you need an indecently large portion. They are, they are a bit cheeky calling it the intercontinental derby because obviously <laughs> it's only the Bosphorus that separates them. You know, I suppose they're the only country that can call it that. So well, Yeah, not? that's why right. Not? Why not? Well, that's about it from us for now. Thank you for listening to On The Continent. Make sure you join us again tomorrow. For Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And do make sure you subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.